All right, well, our passage this morning is coming from Isaiah chapters 38 and 39, um, picking up from a couple of weeks ago when Steve preached from 36 and 37. Um, So let's uh, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38, and I'll read those two chapters. Isaiah 38. Uh, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, "Uh, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom from day to night. You bring me to an end. I have calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane I chirp, I moan like a dove, my eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed, be my pledge of safety. What shall I say, for he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these there is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health, and make uh, make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah had also said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Chapter 39. At that time Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, the whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses, 
there was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah, and he said to him, What did these men say, and where, and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Hezekiah said, sorry, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all of which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we uh, thank you for the word um, that you have spoken, um, the word uh, that uh, reveals your Son to us. Uh, Lord, thanks that you have brought us to know him uh, and to love him and to trust him and find our salvation in him. Uh, Lord, I pray um, that you would uh, spread your gospel uh, among this church and among uh, this um, community, Lord, um, as, uh, as I preach uh, from these chapters of Isaiah. Uh, in the name of Christ, your son. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, in 1984, um, Bonnie Tyler released a song called Holding Out for a Hero. Um, and it was a bit of a success. It charted in several countries. Um, it uh, had plenty of um, covers. Uh, and it works, um, as one reviewer put it, quote, because it hooks directly into pure emotional need, yeah, unquote. Um, it seems we're all holding out for a hero. We look everywhere for our heroes, don't we? Popular culture, of course, is, is full of hero stories. <clears throat> um, and perhaps it's telling that the greatest heroes we can come up with are, are fictional characters. But they're not the only heroes uh, that we look up to. Um, sporting people, we often call them sporting heroes. People who, who save lives in emergency situations, um, they're, they're called heroes. Uh, and if the emotional uh, investment that's going into politics at the moment is anything to go by, um, politicians are, are very much seen as, um, or at least expected to be heroes. The world is certainly holding out for a hero. Um, and I think I, I bring up that point about politicians. I think they're a good example of this uh, because not because they live up to this idea um, of being a hero necessarily, but because politics shows us what we desire in a hero. We long for a hero uh, who will save us from evil uh, and, and lead us in what is good. <clears throat> um, depending on what side of the, the political spectrum you're on, that means something very different to you. Some, some might look to politicians to save us from the, the dangers of 
unchecked progressivism um, and lead us in traditional values. Um, or on the other side, some people look for politicians who will save us from the, the mistakes of the past and the dangers of unchecked capitalism and lead us in care for others. And there's value in both of those sides. Um, but I'm not making a point about politics. I'm making a point about what we look for in heroes. We look to our heroes to lead us in what is good and save us from evil. And there's nothing new in this. Um, two and a half thousand years ago, ancient Israel were looking for this exact same thing, a hero who would save them from evil and lead them in good. A, a savior and a king all rolled up in this one hero idea. Um, the word that they used, um, you've probably heard um, around Christian circles, of course, is Messiah, the Savior King um, that God has chosen to lead his people. The Messiah who would save them from evil and lead them in good. Um, now, you might have been um, listening to our series in Isaiah over the last six months or so. Um, and if you have, you might remember um, some of our earlier sermons uh, alluded to this Messiah. There's prophecies very much in Isaiah, um, particularly in the early chapters, um, which have uh, alluded to this saviour king, this Messiah, this hero figure. Um, and again, as, as I said earlier, a couple of weeks ago, Steve preached about uh, King Hezekiah from chapters 36 and 37. Um, and if you remember that sermon, you'll, you'll know that Hezekiah defeated the Assyrians uh, and he reformed the religion of Judah. And, and so in this sense, Hezekiah has saved them from evil uh, and led them in what is good. He has this, this track record of being a hero for the people of Israel. It's starting to sound like Israel have found their Messiah or found a Messiah with a small M, perhaps. He is a saviour king that they can look up to. Um, here in chapter 38, Hezekiah faces another crisis. And he, he still shows a lot of that promise um, that, um, that he showed in the previous story. Um, <clears throat> but in chapter 38, we start to see some problems begin to show. Um, we're going to look at, at three sections or three acts of the story. Um, and the first one comes from chapter 38. Um, and I've entitled it, A Promising But Flawed King. A Promising But Flawed King. So chapter 38 verse 1 sets the scene. Um, in those days, or that is around the same time as the Assyrian invasion... Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. Have you ever been diagnosed with a terminal illness like this? Has, has anyone you've known um, been diagnosed with a terminal illness? 
It's a really hard thing to be told that your days are numbered. Um, sometimes um, people are told that they have months or ye even years to live. But even still, none of us wants to be confronted with our mortality. In Hezekiah's case, um, as, as I just read, he doesn't have months or, or years. He has hours, days. He has just enough time, God says, to get his house in order. Uh, and then that's it. He's about to die. What a gut punch that is to Hezekiah. What an absolute gut punch. Uh, as you'd expect in this, in this sort of situation, Hezekiah uh, was very, very upset. Um, he immediately turns uh, and just started sobbing against the wall. Um, and as I read before, in his distress, he prayed to God. Uh, he said, please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in, in faithfulness with a whole heart and done what is good in your sight. <clears throat> um, praying, of course, in, in desperate um, situations is very much a good thing. But let's be very clear, this is not a model prayer, exactly. Um, you might remember Steve talked about the previous chapter a couple of weeks ago and how um, when he received the bad news there, he prayed a really magnificent prayer. It was um, humble and penitent. It was uh, concerned with the good of others. It was uh, his highest goal was God's glory. But this one is very, very much the opposite of that. Um, to, to, to use an illustration, in chapter 37, he offered up this beautiful, delicious, uh, multi-tiered uh, cake. Uh, and, and here in this chapter, instead, he's mixed up the salt and the sugar containers. There's, there's just something fundamentally wrong with this prayer. See, his, his, his thought process is almost that God should let him live because he's done some good stuff in his life. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the soul that sins shall die and all have sinned. All of us, including Hezekiah, including me, including you, are destined to die because that's what we deserve because of what we've done. Hezekiah doesn't deserve to live because of what he's done. You and I don't deserve to live because of what we've done. We deserve to die because of what we've done. And we can't just ask God to let us live or to let us off the hook because we've done some good either. That's not the way the world, that's not the way life works. We're all destined to die. But even still, God uh, answered the prayer of Hezekiah, even despite uh, how, how feeble the prayer is and how misguided his logic is. God delighted to answer Hezekiah's prayer. <clears throat> God told Hezekiah he would recover and then live for another 15 years, which is pretty good, uh, considering Hezekiah had only 
reigned for 14 years so far. He's more than doubling his, uh, his time of, of rule. Um, again, to be sure, Hezekiah wouldn't ultimately escape death. But on the plus side, he wouldn't die for 15 years. So there is, there is that. Um, and to see, to show the, uh, the amazing goodness of God in this situation, um, second Kings tells us that Hezekiah, that, sorry, Isaiah didn't even make it out of the palace, uh, before God sent him back to tell the good news. Um, God would save Hezekiah's life from this particular situation. Um, and not only that, but God would protect Hezekiah and the city uh, against the Assyrians, against the invading forces. Um, again, this is around the same time as the Assyrian invasion, um, whether it was just after or just before. God is saying that, that the Assyrians will not set foot in the city. Um, and to prove that all of these promises are true, God gave Hezekiah a sign. The sign was this, the shadow on Ahaz's sundial went backwards by 10 units. Now, the, the Bible doesn't say how to do that, and, um, and it would be improper of us for, for, uh, for us to try and speculate. But the point here, the implication of this sign is that God can do whatever he likes with time. If God wants to mess with a sundial to make it go backwards, he can do that. And if God wants to mess with a man's span of life so that he can extend the life of Hezekiah by 15 years, he can do that too. <clears throat> um, and again, Hezekiah responded admirably to this situation. Um, you see in the second half of chapter 38, he wrote this poem um, about how God delivered him and gave him life. Now, I'm not going to go too deeply into it for the sake of time, um, but if you study it, you'll, you'll see how it's all about God granting Hezekiah the gift of life. God is the giver of life. He is the one to turn to when disaster strikes because he saves Verse 20 gives us the bottom line. The Lord will save me and we will play music on stringed instruments uh, all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. <clears throat> um, and again, the bottom line of this song um, is affirming the goodness and praiseworthiness and, and trustworthiness of God for saving Hezekiah and extending his life. And all of this whole chapter works together to, to demonstrate the amazing goodness and trustworthiness of God. Um, remember back in verse 1, he, he was the one that warned Hezekiah about his impending death. Uh, verse 5, he graciously answered Hezekiah's prayer. Again, even in spite of how, how feeble and, and self-centered Hezekiah was in it. Verses 5 and 6 show God's faithfulness. Um, he references David as if to say, look, I'm, I'm faithful from David to the 
uh, end of the Davidic dynasty, I am faithful to my promises um, and to the city that he loves. Um, and of course, this whole, the whole story arc of providing Hezekiah with that gift of a long life. Uh, but in, in, in stark contrast to this amazing goodness of God, um, the passage also shows us the cracks that are starting to form in Hezekiah's character. I remember initially God told Hezekiah that he was going to die and that he should prepare his house. And instead, what did Hezekiah do? He tried to get out of it. He refused to, to, to prepare his house. He refused to prepare to die. Um, of course, as I said, his prayer was so utterly focused on himself and his own good works. Um, and verse 22 is, is sort of positioned there to give the impression that Hezekiah is a bit hesitant to trust God, even in this situation. He's trusting God much better than Ahaz did um, back in chapter 7 um, and 8. But he's still hesitant. He's, he's, he's not quite sure whether to trust God. Um, and so at this point, a question mark hangs over Hezekiah. Will, will he really be the hero that Israel needs? Or will he succumb to his flaws? Which way will he go? Well, this leads us to the second section of our passage, uh, chapter 39. Um, and the heading for, the, for this second point uh, is really going to give away whether Hezekiah is going to be the hero or not. Um, because this second point is a painfully fallen king. Here in, uh, in chapter 39, the king of Babylon, uh, Merodach Baladan, um, sends a delegation to Hezekiah. Um, now at this stage, uh, Babylon were an emerging world superpower. They were um, the, the up-and-comers on the world stage. They were really starting to flex their muscles. Um, and you can see how later on um, in verse 3, uh, just how excited Hezekiah is that he's getting this attention from these um, great and powerful king of Babylon. Uh, he says they've they've come from a far country, Isaiah. They've come from Babylon. Um, he's 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 boasting. He's excited. He's a little chubby nerd getting uh, attention from his um, gorgeous crush. Like this is this is big deal for him. He's so excited. Uh, and Merodach Baladan courted Hezekiah with these uh, this attention that the little nation of Judah had really never received on a big scale. Um, they're getting personal letters from a great king, um, envoys from this great nation, uh, even a present, says verse 1. Uh, and Hezekiah got sucked right into this. Uh, again, he, he felt flattered by this attention, um, and so he really wanted to cement the relationship with Babylon. So to do that, he showed the Babylonians everything Judah had to offer. Um, the list there in verse 2 is, is, is really extensive. His treasure house, the silver, the gold... 
the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in all his realm that, or his house or his kingdom or his storehouses that he did not show the Babylonians. He's just thrown the absolute kitchen sink into this friendship with Babylon. He's, he's, he's really trying hard. Um, and to be fair, the, the threat of Assyria was looming over them and Babylon seemed like a pretty natural friendship to make. Babylon were also the enemies of Assyria um, and they would have seemed, again, like really obvious and natural friends. And also, like, how can it be a bad thing to have um, to have powerful allies? This is always a good thing, right? You you need powerful allies if you're going to succeed on the world stage. Um, you can sort of imagine Hezekiah as a uh, a modern politician. You can see him standing up to give a press conference at this point. He says, "I am standing before you today." Uh, side by side with the Babylonian ambassador. And we are here to announce the ratification of a tremendous friendship. A friendship between two great nations, Babylon and Judah. This friendship uh, will be of a great benefit to us. Because I can guarantee that because of this friendship... There will be no foreign occupation of Jerusalem as long as I am king. Uh, at this point, as the people cheer, Hezekiah's political advisors congratulate him on a, on a great political win. But his spiritual advisor, Isaiah, shakes his head in disgust. Hezekiah has fallen spiritually, and he has fallen hard. See, uh, the problem with this whole situation, um, if you remember earlier in, in Isaiah, in chapters 13 and 14, God had said that Babylon were his enemies. Hezekiah re really never should have been fraternizing with them. Again, back in chapter 36 and 37, Hezekiah has boldly told the Assyrians to stop attacking the Lord of hosts. He, he boldly called on, on the Holy One of Israel to do away with his enemies. But here in chapter 39... That same king foolishly welcomed Babylon with open arms. God's judgment on Hezekiah is as fitting as it is brutal. This Babylon, which you seem to love so much, Hezekiah, will be the enemy that captures your people. All your belongings, your children, your people, your city will be carried off into Babylon or destroyed. Hezekiah's fall will lead to the exile of his people. 
But even in spite of all this, Hezekiah failed to change his way. And again, this is a far cry from the Hezekiah of previous chapters. In Hezekiah, he prayed, sorry, in chapter 37, he prayed this wonderful, magnificent prayer. In chapter 38, he prayed a pretty feeble and terrible prayer. In chapter 39, there's no prayer at all. There's no prayer of repentance. There's no cry to God for mercy. There's no plea that Judah could escape the coming disaster. All that goes through Hezekiah's mind and all that he says is how good it is that Jerusalem won't be captured in his lifetime. And so the judgment stood. All the stockpile of treasures, all the the goodies that Judah has to offer, all those trinkets that Hezekiah had been showing off to these Babylonian envoys, all of it will one day be Babylonian treasure. And the people of Israel will be Babylonian captives. So much for a king who saves Israel. So much for Hezekiah the hero. He's failed. This king has failed. Do you know this this sort of pain? Have you had a leader fail you? Are you familiar with the feeling of, of betrayal when a hero sells you out? I'm sure if you've been on this world long enough, the answer is most definitely yes. Our heroes and leaders, like Hezekiah, are all flawed and fallen people. No one is perfect. Earthly leaders always let us down. Eventually, uh, even the best earthly leaders will prove that they are imperfect. Eventually, even the best will fall, will fall, will will make mistakes and will even potentially bring disaster of the kind that Hezekiah did. And what can be done? What can be done about that? Perhaps we uh, we need to wait until someone better comes along, right? We can install them as leader. Here in Australia, every three years, we have this opportunity to to vote to see if we think our leader is still the best person for the job. Um, And we can uh, find a better alternative, then we'll elect them in instead. Um, And all of that, of course, seems really good in theory. We can be constantly improving leadership by continually importing someone better. But it doesn't quite work all that well. I mean, since the formation of the first Australian government, we've spent over a century in this cycle and we still haven't found the perfect prime minister. Or more broadly across the world, we've we've spent thousands of years really trying to find the best leader Um, And we're still not really substantially better than where we started. More often than not, this search for the greatest leader 
really throws up some absolute shonkers. Or maybe in your heart of hearts, you feel that you are the better alternative. I mean, you know what they say, you know, if you, if you want something done properly, do it yourself. So, so we feel like I'm the perfect leader. I, if I was in charge, everything would be so much better. I've felt like that. Um, I'm sure you felt like that. But can you really honestly say that you'd make the perfect leader? Can you really defeat all evil and, and lead everyone in what is good? Can you even do that in your own life, really? That's a, it's a hard calling. Or maybe to take a different tack, what would you do if you were the leader of everyone? If you had the absolute power, what would you do with it? How long would it take before you started taking advantage of others to live out your your most exciting and your greatest dreams and fantasies? See, the fact is, like Hezekiah, all of us and all our leaders are flawed, fallen people. We all mess up, we all fail each other, uh, and leadership <clears throat> leadership only makes that worse. It's why in pop culture, most heroes today are, uh, also make mistakes. They, they, they often call them three-dimensional characters, people who make mistakes, who have flaws. But by the end of the story, often these heroes come out on top. They overcome their flaws. They may have made mistakes, but they put it right and they stick up for what's right in the end. And that's about what we'd expect to see right now in the story of Hezekiah, right? We're about due for a redemptive story arc. Uh, if the first act was about his potential and the second act was about his downfall, then in the third act we should be seeing Hezekiah's great redemptive character arc, his hero moment, his victory over evil. I mean, that's how I would go if I was writing it, right? Like, uh, the story would end with Hezekiah repenting, getting rid of the Babylonians and preventing the exile. Except that's not what we find. I mean, you can search the scriptures if you want for a redemptive Ark for Hezekiah, but you're going to come up short. Here in Isaiah, this is how it ends. In Kings, this is how it ends. In Second Chronicles, it's a little bit different, but he still ends uh, in this smoking wreckage. Hezekiah failed. Uh, he's not the Messiah. He's not the hero king that Israel need. Hezekiah's story is Ending in this terrible disaster. And it's reminding us not to look to earthly heroes to save us. But the disappointment that we find in Hezekiah doesn't just show us that earthly leaders fail. 
it teaches us that we need to long for a better hero. A perfect hero. It teaches us to long for someone better than the best. It's, it teaches us to seek a perfect and freeing king, which is the title of this third section, this third act, this third point. Uh, the, we are looking for a perfect and freeing king. Again, so far today, we've seen how Hezekiah failed to be this hero king that Israel were looking for. Um, and in hindsight, I want to identify three problems with Hezekiah um, that these chapters show us. Firstly, Hezekiah failed as king uh, because he feared death. He avoided death and so he disobeyed God in the first half of chapter 38. Secondly, Hezekiah failed because he prized and chased after his own life. Uh, in chapter 38, in the second half of chapter 38, you see how, how desperately he chases after his own life. <clears throat> um, and thirdly, Hezekiah failed, most importantly, of course, because he led the people into exile. But God's true and perfect king will do none of those things. He'll do the opposite, in fact. Rather than, than leading his people into exile, the true king saves. Um, Isaiah uh, chapter 49, uh, verses 6, 8, and 9, God says this to the perfect king, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, to say to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. The true king saves. Um, now, Israel obviously did come out of captivity in a, in a physical sense. <clears throat> but in a spiritual sense, we're all captives. Israel and us and everyone around the world are captives under something worse than Babylon. Uh, we, we're all stuck with our desires that make us do what we shouldn't. Uh, we're all stuck in this world uh, with the prevailing culture trying to pervert us against what is right. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that the ruler of this world, the ruler of you if you're not a Christian, uh, is the devil himself. Um, now, some of you have... Uh, happy with that you wouldn't call yourself captives because that's the way you want life to be but <clears throat> but for all those of us who are Christians the Bible calls us exiles in this foreign land under this this evil king Satan himself um, people often think that Satan lives <clears throat> excuse me 
Uh, Satan lives and rules over hell. But actually, hell is the last place in me. Satan wants to be. Hell is his prison. The world, the earth itself, is his playground. He rules over this world. He relishes the ch- chance to to mess with people who uh, who give in to him. His captives. Do you want to be freed from the oppression of evil? Do you want to escape the darkness? Then this is the king for you. This is the hero for you. This this true king, this true hero, messiah, whatever you want to call it, he is saving people from the ends of the earth, says this passage from Isaiah 49. Even Mafra, even, even me, even you, wherever you are, God is. God's king will save you. He is the king who saves. Um, secondly, not only uh, does he uh, save, but, but rather than chasing after his own life, chasing after life for himself, the true king gives life to others. He is the king who sustains, if you will. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Uh, that was, that's the true king talking there. And, and so the, 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 the word for you is, uh, if you are weary, if you long for life, eternal life in paradise, This is the hero king for you. He sustains, he gives life freely to all his people. He's the king who saves, he's the king who sustains. Thirdly, rather than fearing and avoiding death, he is the king who sacrifices. He sacrificed himself to death. Uh, Further on in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. See, if you are painfully aware of your own mortality like Hezekiah was. If you you know that you'll die and there's nothing you can do about it, uh, then this is the hero king for you. Like I said before, we all deserve to die. We've all sinned uh, and you can't do anything to escape it. One day and probably sooner than you would like, you will die. If that scares you, if that sends a tingle down your spine, then this is the hero king for you. He he willingly embraced death himself so that we don't have to. His, his death broke death. His death uh, took our sin away. And one day he will end death completely. So that his people never have to experience it or fear it again. And when he does that, he will raise his people from this mortal coil so that we can enjoy life and freedom with him forever. Because this king who sacrificed himself is the king who saves 
and the King who gives and sustains life. This is the hero king for you. Would you like to meet him? This king has a name. His name is Jesus. Uh, Let me read to you a true story uh, from Jesus, which relates very closely to this this idea of kingship in Isaiah. Uh, It says in the book of Luke that Jesus stood up to read. The scroll uh, of the prophet Isaiah was given to him uh, and he unrolled it and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the true Savior King. He is the true Messiah, the hero that we've talked about, that Israel longed for, that you and I need. He sacrificed himself, he gives life to his people, and he frees and saves those who long to be rid of the power of evil. And now he invites you to trust him as your savior and to submit to him as your king. Now, I'm not going to pretend that that's an easy thing to do. It it means giving up any pretense uh, that the best thing for your life is for you to be in control. It means giving up the final say of what you do in your life to Jesus as your king for the rest of your life. It is, in fact, the most life-altering commitment you could ever possibly make. But I can assure you it is the best decision that you could ever possibly make. It is far and away the best thing you could do because of the life and the freedom and the salvation that he offers. So uh, if that is is in any way attractive to you, please get in contact with with myself if you can or whoever sent you this message. Uh, We'd love to help you learn to do that. Uh, But I know most of you who are listening to this have probably already made that commitment. Um, and so for you, it's, it's worth thinking through who are your greatest heroes? Who are the leaders and the saviors that you most look up to in this life? And how is Jesus greater than all of them? They have flaws. Jesus has none. They have weaknesses. Jesus has none. He will never fail you. He is the king who saves And with all the world holding out for a hero, let us remind ourselves day by day that Jesus is the Savior King we need. And may we love him and praise him for that more and more. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are the Savior that we need. You are the King uh, who bestows life uh, and blessing upon your people. Uh, Lord, 
We delight to know you and we are so glad that you have chosen to save us. Uh, so Lord, we um, pray that you would uh, bring us into this, this deeper love for you and this appreciation for uh, the blessing that you uh, bring to us and the salvation that you have, done, have made for us. In your name we pray. Amen.